Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over games on Ellen Dread, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Pat Bamford miss of the podcast. You all need to calm down. That's 0.03xg. And today I'm joined by the Pascal Strauch miss of the podcast, Darren Driver. If at first you don't succeed, you can just miss the next one as well. And finally, <laughs> the Rafinha kicking the ball against his own foot of the podcast. Someone's been spending too much time with Dan James. It's Josh Hobbs. Josh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Absolutely relieved uh, about yesterday. Went through the emotional ringer. <laughs> A few people were laughing at me after because I tweeted in about 10 seconds before the goal, like, hard to feel that we're not going down now after we've <laughs> had like we had all these opportunities to win it today we've played well and this result and yeah enjoyable but um yeah I feel like um you need to give a little bit of con- <laughs> context to your first your your intro to your <laughs> to yourself there for for those people who are who are new to all stats aren't we don't know the infamous 0.03 xg incident. yeah it's true it's uh, it's definitely an in joke isn't it but <laughs> that intro is the result of a tweet that i put out in the championship era when pat bamford missed a was it <laughs> sort of an open goal sort of not the goalkeeper was the goalkeeper was like out of position but it was a one-on-one from outside the box yeah and he chipped it over the bar <laughs> yeah against qpr it, it, yeah, and Infogol had the XG for that chance as 0.03. And uh, yeah, I put out a tweet saying people needed to calm down because everyone was saying that it was a, a really obvious chance. And yeah, obviously it, the the value was, was pushed up a little bit. I think uh, Statsbomb rounded it up to like 0.2. Um, so it was a much better chance than 0.03. But I still maintain to this day that my, my point was serious, <laughs> that actually it was a much less... Uh, likely to score chance than than most people thought, um, but anyway, we live and die by the xG. Um, Darren, <laughs> Darren Driver, how are you? All stats, aren't we? Reviewing yesterday's Pat Bamford misses today. I enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'm 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 good, thank you. Uh, I'm a little bit more. Uh, I don't know whether positive is quite the right word, but I'm a little bit more um, calm about things than I was at full time yesterday, um, and feeling. Yeah, a bit, a bit. Yeah, I, I sort of enjoyed the rewatch this morning, which I really didn't expect to do. So I'm, I'm feeling, feeling pretty good. I did enjoy from my, from yeah, having a quick look at Hobbsy's Twitter account yesterday and having a little giggle about about that incident that he was just talking about. I didn't because obviously Hobbsy, you were only saying what we were all thinking, right? When when that goal went in, no one thought, oh, we're still fine. Now. No, no, absolutely. Like, we knew that was a, like a must win, and also it would have been the manner of dropping the points as well would have been killer. Yeah, absolutely. I got to see John McKenzie with his head in his hands, which was which was uh, which was a wonderful and sad thing to see. But then you know, almost threw him off the east stand when we scored. So it was all it was all it was all it was all good in the end. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to getting into the nuts and bolts of it a little bit today and sort of trying to trying to work out what I think about things because I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in that game that will take a bit of unpicking. Yeah, and if uh, I have form for Pat Bamford's missing, 
Josh definitely has form for tweets that you shouldn't send too early. <laughs> because we all re- we all yeah. remember the infamous folder club tweet in the uh, was it against Millwall. Yeah, yeah, when we were two 0 down at, at half time, and I I was just going mental about like uh, they they've got no character, they've they've crumbled. I full on Roy Keened it, and then they and then they came out second half and scored three goals. Um, yeah, brilliant. Uh, I'll never learn. <laughs> anyway, as Josh says, we have a lot more to feel positive about in terms of staying up next season. That brings us on to the Patreon. Uh, so if you sign up to our Patreon, we might still be around next season in the in the Premier League for you to enjoy us. So Patreon is just a, a channel which uh, allows us to have subscribers and put out bonus content to those subscribers. And we put up lots of video content. We put up bonus podcasts. We have a Discord channel, which is vibrant, shall we say. Um, so yeah, if you are interested in maybe getting a little bit more, especially at a time when we have a new manager, so we'll be doing a lot of in-depth tactical work just to see what's going on on the field, then head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we but we are not here to simply sell our wares we are here to talk about the game against Norwich yesterday obviously so let's kick off with the game summary so we're obviously talking about a 2-1 win against Norwich today a game where we were comfortable xg victors so Statsbomb had a 2.7 xg to 1.2 for Norwich in terms of the game itself Jesse Marsh stuck with a 4 triple 2 at the beginning and we got our first showing of the click for sure double pivot that I've been banging on about for a while. With Junior out, Dallas was moved to left-back, Urento was brought in at centre-back and, and that meant that Ailing was pushed out to the right-back position. Uh, and then in the first half, DJ dropped back in place of Harrison and Bamford and Rodrigo started up front. I guess a point of uh, clarification, Rafinha and Dan James started on opposite sides of the pitch to usual, uh, which we could talk about later on, I guess. Leeds definitely enjoyed the better of the first half. The inclusion of Bamford helped with hold-up play and Leeds created some good chances through intense pressure and some set pieces. The game was very open, but Leeds restricted Norwich to fairly poor chances and deservedly went a goal up thanks to a deflected Rodrigo finish early on. Jack Harrison came on at half-time with Ferd Bamford and after 60 minutes, Rodrigo was placed by Robin Cock with Leeds switching to a 4-2-3-1 where Click slotted into the 10 spot. Leeds definitely missed Bamford in the second half, I thought, but the new formation did allow us to push Rafinha into higher areas, which obviously was beneficial later on in the game. As the half drew on, however, Leeds did drop deeper and deeper and allowed Norwich to come onto us. And when Kenny McLean scored an equaliser in the 90th minute, it looked like we'd thrown it away. But fortunately, we managed to score through Gelhart and Rafinha interchanging. And of course, an honourable mention to Melier's face. So that is the game summary. Uh, over to the interrogation section. So this is the interrogation section where I ask the guys five questions about the game to try and find out what was going on in a little bit more detail. So question number one, I will ask this of you, Darren. I don't know about you guys, but watching the game back, I found it kind of hard to read the game. I think that's partly because I'm so used to reading Bielsa Ball. So there's obviously a lot of stuff that's going on that uh, I'm not quite so familiar with. Uh, But obviously we created more and better chances. Uh, But it was hard to assess things like control, even if we assume that control doesn't equal some sort of possessional quality, but um, some sort of idea of limiting opponents' attacking phases to some sort of static state and our own attacking phases to chaotic states um, and, and trying to generate more chances through that um so i will ask you darren what did you make of the game overall very different across the two watches so in in the stadium i found it quite difficult viewing um but i think that's just largely because i was so anxious about the game that it made it difficult to watch it with any kind of sense of distance so um but when I rewatched it this morning, I was much more positive about our first half performance, particularly than than I was um, than I was yesterday. And I think that um, I think what I'm going to have to come to understand, and it's a bit like what you were saying, John. We've we've had so so many years of of watching Bielsa's football, and I did promise myself I was going to try get through this podcast without mentioning Bielsa once, but I haven't managed to do that so we're just going to have to live with that um, <laughs> you made it to eight minutes in well done I, I know thanks um, that, yeah that we got so used to watching his football um, and and I think actually a lot of the, a, a, a lot of the things I, comments I was hearing in the crowd um, both on on the Villa game and yesterday were kind of related to that really that people's criticisms of it of what we were doing yesterday were largely related to um, to what, what the 
expectations have been. So I suppose for me, that I feel like I'm going through a process of trying to understand what a decent version of Jesse Marsh's football looks like. And I guess if you look at the two goals, particularly the first goal, I think... You can, I think you can see there really clearly what what the what the plan for creating chances is going to be, and 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 which is the ball into into Bamford, and then and then you see the three players around him counter press really quickly, and and create that chance. And I I, th- I think that I'm just going to have to come to accept and understand that that what we're gonna, not what what we're going to do isn't necessarily going to be clever or sophisticated or even all that pretty to look at. But as long as it's effective, I'm not really going to care about that. Um, at least until the end of this season and I think what I would say is that in the first half I definitely felt that it was effective because we, we put up a, a, a really good number of chances some of those chances were very good some of them yeah were from set pieces but some of them were more to do with that counter press style there were a couple of nice moves in there like the one uh, leading to Rafinha hitting the bar um, and then I just feel like in the second half perhaps the perhaps the pressure of the situation influenced things a little bit but we certainly weren't able to make chances um with the with the with the flow that we were able to in the first half and if we'd have killed the game if we'd have scored the second goal in the first half i feel like we'd have won really really comfortably um but because we only had that one goal that that kind of pressure of the clock running down and then Norwich hitting the bar at 17 minutes really influenced people, I think, really influenced the way that the team performed for the rest of the game and it become, became much more anxious and panicked. So I'm going to try and discount what happened in the last 20 minutes of the game as an anomaly based on the pressure that the team were under and just overall call it a job well done, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's um, pretty well reasoned. I think, um, yeah, I, I, adding to that sort of pressure, we had that, VAR overturn as well, which <laughs> mm. oh that that was horrendous as well, wasn't it? Like just <laughs> that feeling, like when he slid in, I just thought oh, this is definitely a penalty. There's no way this is going to get overturned. But then obviously you see the replay and, and he realised straight away that it is the right call that it got overturned. But that showed the panic really because I, I don't believe it was necessary for for Ailing to make that make that that challenge like that um and i was frustrated that they uh they won that penalty with um pookie going off the shoulder of urente and then they scored with pookie going off the shoulder of strauk as well so i found that frustrating that we didn't seem to learn from that particular problem but i think darren's right it was the pressure of the situation and i think the pressure of the situation also has something to do with like snatching at chances too uh, as well. Um, I think like last season we we were scoring most things that we hit at the end of the season because pressure was off and there was like there was comfort in our, in the way we were playing and players are trusting their technique a bit more. Whereas I think if you think of that Bamford chance, I, I mean I don't know necessarily that it was like Pat was jittery. I think it was probably a bit more like Pat was. Um, rusty more than anything um and it was interesting if you if you watched match of the day too ian wright talked about he should be opening up and shooting that with his right foot just place it in the in the other corner and we know that pat doesn't like to really (laughs) shoot with his right foot too much but i remember the fulham home game from from last season where he he planted that one in the far corner with his right foot so when he's feeling on his game and confident and then he will take that shot on. But yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with what Darren said in the first place, other than that I think my initial watch of the first half was was more positive in the first place. Like I felt our first 10 minutes, we looked like a bit ropey on the ball. It was a little bit kind of chaos. Uh, and I felt like Norwich didn't really create anything out of that. But I also thought, how's this game going to go? And then once we started to get the ball into Bamford's feet and onto his chest and and so on, we looked more like we could pin them in their half a little bit more. And um, yeah, I think I want to also acknowledge that despite all the chances we made in the first half, we did kind of get lucky with a bit of a silly rule in terms of the the opening goal. Because uh, as I mean, I actually agreed with Dean Smith's (laughs) argument, like they have to head it clear because Bamford is in in an offside position. But oh, happy days! We got we got the the rub of the green in this game, and hopefully that's a catalyst for us. Yeah, I think the only the only 
note that I would add is that there are definitely sterner tests coming because I think Norwich are pretty, you know, they they were pretty bad, and I think I think that we'll we'll need to pick up the level of performance um, again in order to in order to get results out of the games that are coming up. Yeah, I, I absolutely wouldn't disagree, but I think I mean, like I I think we all would say that Leicester weren't great against us either, but I feel like you know we've got three games, we've got two decent ones in there. We've got a very bad one. We'll see how we feel after the Wolves game. Might be more similar to Villa. We don't know yet. Do you think it's going to be a case of there being games where we're okay and games where we're not okay and not much in between? If did uh, sort of the impression that I'm getting, that if maybe it was similar with with Bielsa as well, it does feel as though there's very much, this is very much a sort of no plan B way of playing, right? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think I think I feel a bit more like we might stand a better chance of getting a point against some of the some of the top teams maybe like i think i feel a bit more positive about arsenal than i would have done under bielsa just because we'll be a bit more direct and arsenal just stopped us trying to pass the ball out and i think maybe we just won't bother against them this time the other thing that ties into that for me is that it it really depends on how you view the villa performance whether that was a whether that was a performance of the players not carrying out Marsh's tactics effectively or whether the tactical plan just wasn't going to work in that game irrespective of how well they carried it out I think that kind of, um, um, I don't suppose I feel like I really know the answer to that yet so so some of those games against the, the slightly better mid-table teams that we've got coming up um, it will be very interesting to see how they how they play out on that basis. I do think we're going to have different bogey teams to the teams that we had under Bielsa, and I don't. I don't say bogey teams in the sense that there's anything to do with suspicion, like, like superstition there. Sorry, but um, more to do with the fact that this system will suit us against some teams and not against others. And I, th- I think the fact that we were so woeful against Villa, I think, is maybe interesting. It could be the case that we are, we will just become really, really flat track bullies, and we will just batter people at the at the bottom of the table who aren't who aren't up to much. And that's what we need at this point. So, um, no. No, no question of that but um, let's move on to the second question before we run out of time um, let's talk about the click for sure double pivot this is something that I've been talking about it was something that struck me as, as maybe a logical Jesse Marsh kind of pivot um, when I was watching some of his earlier teams back so Josh what did you make of that double pivot yeah I, I thought it was good I think it was the best one that we've seen so far because uh, we've seen three iterations we've seen uh, Cock and Click. We've seen um, Foreshaw and Cock, and now we've seen Click and, and Foreshaw. And I think my personal feeling, as I tweeted yesterday, is that Click is the most suited to it at at the moment out of anyone. Uh, and I think Foreshaw brought some good balance because he does enough defensively in in there, like just a lot to do with his positioning defensively. Don't think he has to be an incredible ball winner, although I think he is good at that side of the game. Um, and with Click, you, I think we see his his good progressive passing, and I think we missed that against against Villa. I'm not necessarily saying that you know if he plays suddenly the Villa game goes differently, but I think we missed being able to move the ball forwards in in that central area, um, and it might have helped a little bit. Um, I just think he's he's the best player in that, and it we're seeing a different side to his game where before in that sort of attacking eight position um for Bielsa it was a lot about how he would like make wide runs uh and and runs into the box and pulling players out of the position this is a lot more about him playing with the game in front of him and it's um yeah we're seeing different attributes in his game and I think it's suiting him nicely and it's not asking him to like kill himself in terms of runs yeah, I feel very positive about about that as a, as a combination. I think I think defensively they've both got pretty good anticipation and they're both able to they're both pretty smart at knowing when to step up and when to when to sit and when to snap into challenges and when to kind of hold a position. Um, so I think from that point of view it, it works well and they complement each other quite well from that point of view. I think I think there, there is a contrast in the way that they want to play because I think I think if if there's not um, if there's not an obvious pass on, I think Click is um, won't have a problem with putting it into a decent area for for like Rafinha or James or Harrison or whoever it might be to chase it down and try start the counter press. Whereas I feel like um, I feel like at times Forshaw 
is so kind of ingrained in wanting to keep possession and hold possession and, and progress the ball through possession that um that it can make him seem a bit ponderous at times because because he's looking for a run that isn't coming and then he's doing that thing where he's having to turn around and look for a new angle and retain the ball with the centre back. So I think I think maybe there's something in there about about either accepting that that's how Farshaw is going to look in possession when he plays in the system or about Farshaw perhaps becoming a bit more pragmatic in terms of the way that he uses the ball in, in terms of trying to um, to kind of generate the... I suppose it's about trying to gain territory really um, and, and try and do some more of that stuff. But overall, really, really positive and, and I, I'm hopeful that we see that that combination for a little while and, and, and see how it develops because I, th- I think they've they've got the potential to... Yeah, to to provide a level of solidity and skill in that midfield area um, that that I think we need between now and the end of the season. Yeah, I definitely think that Forshaw needs to develop a different approach to possession because at the moment it does feel as though he wants to keep the ball, which is understandable because I think most midfielders are spend their whole lives developing their skill set to be able to do that. And um, yeah, the, what we're going to start seeing is, as you've said, just getting the ball forward. It doesn't matter if you lose the ball as long as you're gaining territory. Uh, as you said to me during the game yesterday. Question three, Darren, we're obviously going to talk about the pressing a lot in the coming weeks. Felt that the intensity of our off-ball stuff was good yesterday, but still isn't looking that well-coordinated, is it? Uh, not consistently. I don't think it's looking well-coordinated consistently. Um, I think I think there are, like for the first goal, I, I, thought, I thought the way that the players snapped into the counter-press was was pretty well coordinated um, and that and that that was you know and that happened a few times but i think overall it feels to me like yeah that 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 like when norwich were in possession that that that's where it fell down a little bit so when we were playing the ball forward and then trying to swarm that was working reasonably well but when norwich were on the ball and and we were i, I guess trying to either win the ball back from them or to try and funnel them into areas where we could therefore spring a press that that wasn't working as well although I will say that I think Pat Bamford makes a big difference in that area because he's really good at funneling the play one way or the other with with the sort of runs that he makes in a way that I don't think some of the other players are um so I think I think if we can get him into the team consistently um then I think we might see an improvement there because he'll be, kind of lead the press in a lot of a lot of ways and that'll be helpful but overall yeah I do agree that I'm I'm not seeing a kind of wildly well coordinated press or a particularly um aggressive or committed press when the opposition are in possession a lot of the time at the moment. Um but I think it looked better yesterday and I think I think that's that's all you can reasonably hope for in in the, in the sort of period of time that Marsh has had so far. Yeah, my my opinion is that when the stuff that we're seeing off ball is largely Bielsa Bielsa esque. Uh, a lot of the counter pressing is being done fairly man to man rather than what you might want to see like we're not seeing an initial press and then a secondary press where passing lanes are being blocked and stuff like that um i think partly this is because in possession we're we're not playing narrow really at all and i think when you don't play narrowly it's a lot harder to to actually spring those sort of counter presses. So there's a few things going on, one of which is that like, I don't think they've got the the sort of first phase, second phase bit yet. And it may just simply be that that Marsh is not bothering to do that stuff yet because it's just too much too soon. Uh, but yeah, the second thing is that when you're when we're playing with a certain amount of width, it just feels like there's a few times in the game yesterday where we're trying to we're trying to do a high press and funnel and there's two players on one side of the pitch and everyone else is still over on the other side and and that sort of thing just doesn't work. But Josh, what's your take on the pressing? It's kind of what I expected if I'm honest. Like we we talked about this idea of where he's got no real time to do what he wants to do which is um a bit more complex in terms of like training players to know exactly when their triggers are and then all go together like that is that's the thing you need to work on for a while in terms of like snapping like four players into one press and then shifting the whole like defensive line over like that's not something they're gonna really get in just like i don't know what have they had like 10 training sessions maybe like I don't think you're going to get that that quickly so I think what we are seeing is more of a a mid block and then when there's specific moments players will go and press and like you say it is a bit more like individuals winning winning pressing duels rather than um rather than like it being this coordinated press but I think 
it's kind of the best we could hope for at this period of time. It'll be interesting to see whether it will improve a bit um, after the international break. But we have to note the fact that some of the starters will not be around during that period of time because Dan James will be um, on international duty. Rafinha will. uh, I presume Rodrigo won't be, but some of those players that are starters won't be there. So I don't know whether it will have that effect or not. And I think you're definitely right in terms of we're not really playing the four triple two in its like pure form of the four triple two. Um, and until we're able to do that and have the right player profiles to do that as well, I'm not really sure that we will see it. I think this is a bit like Marsh has said, which is we're essentially going to fix some of the things, we'll tweak some of the things, and we're kind of like muddling to the end of the season and trying to improve what we can whilst we can. I wonder if you can change that mindset that the players have had for three and a half years of making the pitch as big as possible to one where you're then then immediately like required to make the pitch as small as possible. I think that must be quite a challenging thing to kind of like uh, cognitively it's easy to understand, but I'm sure it's quite difficult as as a unit to kind of carry it out. Muscle memory will will come into play on the pitch or just make the runs that they they're used to making and then it's like, oh shit, I wasn't meant to make that run. I think part of it as well will come down to the fact that the reason why Bielsa used man marking is because it's easy intellectually. Um like okay, there's occasional times where you have to think about where whether you press your man or move on to a more dangerously positioned man. But I, I think that's sort of fairly intuitive as well. And I think the problem now is that is that you you're not only having to think about points in space, um, so per the opposition's individual players that you need to get near and stop them having the ball. You now need to think in terms of both that, but also a bit more of a spatial awareness. So you have to be aware of who's free around you, where the passing lanes are that you need to block off. And and we're, we're not really seeing that at the moment. And yeah, on top of that, as, as Darren's saying, um, the fact that we aren't, we're just not compact enough, I think, out of possession. Um, like the, the All of the video analysis that I did at the beginning of the Jesse Marsh um, era was was showing like a team where you've got you've got everyone apart from your back line in at, at absolutely tiny space like within the space of the center circle and when you do that you can then afford to have two players pressing on the ball and then it, and then three or four players around them stopping the the passing lane and the problem is is that and I think we'll find this a lot in the rest of the season the problem is when you play against a good side they're just going to play it around your press no problem whatsoever um so yeah we can get away with it against against teams that are pretty poor in in build up and and in transition like I think both Leicester and, and Norwich have been but as soon as you get teams that are going to be semi-good at switching that play and then creating dangerous moments we see what happened against Villa which is you play that ball into the back post and the the fullback wins it and and, and has a decent chance so um, I'm sure it will I'm sure it will get better but um, I, I suppose this brings us on to question four which is Josh you've just said that the four triple two isn't particularly being utilized in its in its perfect formation um, but what we did see yesterday, I think, was um, a four-two-three-one formation that I think was designed to just get the most out of Rafinha. Um, so I mentioned in the in the summary that it allowed Rafinha to get forward a little bit more, uh, and I, it also sort of allowed Harrison to go out a little bit wider with with click in the middle there. Um, so do you think that we might see this a little bit more in the future? And I mean, it almost feels a little bit like what has happened at Manchester United under Ralph Rangnick as well, where you sort of you sort of let the fourth triple two principles slide a bit uh, and then and then you you think well I've got all of these these we've got some elite players in this team that we can get more out of by making the formation work better for them so what did you make of that aspect yesterday yeah I think initially my feeling was that Rafinha was I mean he was almost like a striker I would say like he stayed so high up uh, and it was like he would he would then pull wide from from there um and I think it felt to me like he was playing more as a striker immediately in the second half. Um, but then it did change again when you had the Rodrigo change that moved Click higher up. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think what it did was it, it got Rafinha running into space. So he obviously had uh, gets the assist for the goal where he's on the last man. He also had that chance uh, a lot earlier in the first half which Dan James scored on the rebound, but but was offside. But he was on the last man there as well. Um, and that's, I mean, we need him on the last man, really. Like, he can obviously 
be a good creator from deep for us. But I don't want him coming into the pitch where it's all compact. I want him being able to beat a full fullback or or a centre back like he did with that just amazing first touch after Gelhart's flick on, and then he suddenly threw and yes, he takes it wide against Krill, but there's no one else you want to be in that position uh, in the team. I'd say that than than Rafinha really. So I think it was the right call to make, although we we probably would have said that some of the tweaks we made in the second half didn't necessarily make us better. I think that one was a very important, positive one. I wondered how much of it was a function of, of the formation changing and how much of it was a function of putting Rafinha on the side where he obviously looks much more comfortable to me. Um, that's just my view. I don't know how other people felt about him playing on the left, but but certainly on the rewatch this morning, he just feels that much more dangerous when he's able to, like you say, push up on the last man, yeah, but but do it from the side where he can... Where he can and do that cutting inside thing and 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 kind of run the game from there. So I think that I think there are a couple of things there. I actually thought that we dropped into a four-two-three-one quite often, even in the first half during Norwich's um, possession. I don't think that was just something that happened in the second half. I think it's probably a bit more noticeable then. Um, but yeah, like like Hobbsy says, anything where you can get Rafinha into the more dangerous areas is going to be where he's going to have the best impact because because when he's when he's playing deeper. Um, I think he often causes us more problems than he solves. And if you can get him into the areas in the final third where he's able to isolate a man or where he's able to run onto something, I think he's much more likely to create the sort of opportunities that we need him to make, just as he did yesterday. Yeah, just as a point of clarification, the reason why I'm calling it 4-2-3-1 later on is because of the pressing structure. So we pressed with a flat four at the beginning and then we pressed with a little bit more of a diamond in the sec- in, well in the 30 minutes onwards. But as I saw it, John, there were points in the first half when we were going to a block, we were going for to a four-two-three-one after that first possession structure. But I mean, I may be wrong about that, but that's just how, what I saw. Right. Okay. Right. Just quickly on question five because I think we've pretty much covered this. But Darren, assuming that this isn't the ideal form of football Jesse Marsh wants to be playing in the long run, what do we think that changes now? Uh, sorry, between now and the end of the season, are we just going to see a, a different game every week, or do you think it's going to start looking more tactically structured? And what are your expectations on that? Actually, like, do you do you are you just happy with it being very much one game is going to be okay, one game is going to be painful? Yeah, I think it's going to need to be like that to a degree because we're, I mean we were already in the situation before Marsh came in where where results were the only thing that mattered, and and all that matters to me now is that we get the nine points that I think we need between now and the end of the season to to stay up, and I think that. I think that if we're able to approach games against weaker teams, so maybe if we think, you know, obviously we've we've got um, Watford coming up, but I also think Southampton are in a bit bit of a dodgy moment. So although they were really dominated us at the start of the season and we put in one of our worst performances against them, I think we might be able to cause them some some problems. So I I think really for me, I think we will see more tactical structure. I think we will see improvements in in the way that we block and in the way that we press because when we dropped to that low block with a, with a five at the back yesterday, I thought we actually looked a lot worse, um, and um, and and not and it didn't improve our defensive solidity at all in my in my view. So I, I think we will see some improvements, but I think the improvements we're going to see are going to be pretty marginal, and it's really just about whether we can gather the points that we need. And I'm just going to strap in and accept that there are going to be games when we look pretty bad, and there are probably going to be a couple of hammerings in there. Um, but if we if we're able to get the points that we need against lower teams, then I'll just call it a job well done, and then we can reset in the summer. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Oh, 
right, okay, so that's the end of the interrogation. Time for the bring a topic section, the section where the guys bring questions to the discussion. So we will start with you, Josh. What do you want to talk about based on the game yesterday? I just had a question about how we structured our, our front line in the first half. So worked well uh, with Rodrigo and Pat. But I, I don't know if I think that's going to be the ideal front too, because I think a lot of what Pat did well in the game was taking the ball back to goal, playing it off and helping us come up the pitch together. And then he would make runs into the box and he obviously stretched the last line for um, for the goal and then had that one-on-one chance which he missed. But I wondered whether we might see perhaps a signing in the long term where you have a player that will run behind more um, that isn't Dan James. Um, or, or would that be like, could you see Bamford and Rafinha as a as a front two? I just, I, like, I think Rodrigo was really good yesterday. I think it was just, it was a really good response from him after a terrible game on Thursday. Um, but I I just don't know profiles-wise if that's what you want in the four triple two. It'd be interesting to see how it plays out further on. It feels instinctively like Rodrigo plays as one of the two tens. Um, and so when you start him up front, it just kind of feels a bit weird. I mean, as Darren's saying, maybe he's, he is just playing slightly deeper and then you've got the two wider wider players around him in, in the system yesterday. But um, I definitely feel as though you are, if you're playing him and then two tens, you're you're definitely reducing the amount of players that you have as, as potential strikers in the box at the moment when you want, want you know, a, a sort of quote-unquote natural finisher um something like that uh, Darren, Darren how would you answer that yeah I think it, I think it's a difficult question I, I think I think as long as there's enough intelligence in the pairing to know what the other's doing and to do the opposite thing I think that that's kind of okay and I feel like that worked reasonably effectively yesterday so at those moments when when Bamford did drop as long as someone's going beyond and I, I don't think it necessarily has to be the the other striker because like you say that when Rodrigo drops in, as long as Dan James or Rafinha go beyond, I don't think it really really matters who does it. Um, and I, I felt it worked reasonably effectively yesterday, and I think it just showed how much we've missed Bamford over the course of the season, really. The, the, I mean, even a 50% fit Pat Bamford really improved the, I mean, you know, improved the team's performance overall. So I, 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 think it can, I think it can work. I think I'm just, yeah, I think I just need to see it a few more times to just understand how it would work but it, it felt like it worked pretty well to me yesterday it's tough isn't it to, to sort of judge how good they were on the basis of the fact that it was Norwich yesterday yeah. uh, I also think it was sort of tricky insofar as we we did get that goal early on we scored it our first shot I think and it was a big deflection from from fairly fairly long distance a low xg chance and I wonder how much that sort of impacted obviously Norwich needed to win really to have any hope of anything so they sort of came out quite a lot and it gave us a lot of space in behind but in terms of Rafinha playing central I guess for me the issue is is that like if you think about the best chances we created yesterday we're getting them through Rafinha like hitting the byline and and cutting it back or Rafinha himself like actually actually um sort of coming in from those wide areas and I suppose the question is like do we do we lose something that we we that make up for by playing him centrally i don't know how you guys would answer that question i think if he's playing on the last man he can still do that because he can he can go beyond and still get to the byline and then it's you need the situation literally the goal was a great example of it you need gelhart whoever's there to run at the at the center of the box uh if you've got Rafinha sort of pulling wide from a central area as long as you've got those people arriving in the box I think it's I think it's okay I suppose the the 4-2-3-1 formation is basically designed to do this then right it's, you, you have a striker and then you have Rafinha able to get into that maybe higher higher position so maybe we'll see that a little bit more in the future yeah I think Jesse Marsh has said this before actually but the 4-2-2 and the 4-2-3-1 are kind of like interchangeable with with one another um you could have it where in the in the four triple two like click is one of the two attacking mids and Rafinha is one of the striker uh one of the strikers but then when it switches Rafinha pulls wide and Harrison goes wide the other side and Rafinha runs um click goes central and you've got and you've got four two three one so I, I think I think both can can work 
Yeah, and and obviously these formations are just designed to get as many players central in in counter pressing situations as possible, and then allow you to do that high press and funnel. So, um, yeah, like you're right to say that there's not much in it. The difference between these different formations. Darren, what about you? What did you want to talk about? Yeah, I just wanted to talk about us on the ball a little bit because I noticed um, in various places on on my Facebook feed, on Twitter, and in the ground, people. Um, sort of grumbling about us giving the ball away and particularly grumbling about Click um, giving the ball away in one particular case by, by playing the ball into areas rather than to to um, to players. But I just wondered how, how you were both finding the possessional side of our game and, and also triggered by something you said in the ground yesterday, John, about um, how sometimes when we're trying to go so direct so quickly that we actually turn the ball over in, in areas that are quite dangerous and that could give us significant problems against better teams. So I just wondered how you're both finding the way that we use the ball at the moment. Personally, I don't don't mind it. Like, I think um, it wouldn't have been my ideal style. Uh, I would like I would like to have looked after the ball more. Um, but I, I'm not seeing like no. Uh, like none of our chance, although none of the goals yet have, have come through the nice moves. It's not like we completely have no way of building play and and creating chances. Um, like I think of, I know that people can say that this was more of a Bielsa chance, but the the Rafinha chance against um, Leicester is a really nice move. Um, the Rafinha chance where he kicked it into his heel yesterday—that's a, like a, a flowing move from one side of the pitch to the other. Um so I think there is some good stuff and I like seeing uh how how clicks playing in, in midfield and some nice little combinations that help us move it into uh more advanced areas. I like that side of it. But I, I will totally acknowledge that there also is that side of it which is bang it into an area and and see if we can I mean as I said before, the classic British coaching phrase would be like see if you can win the second balls. Mm. Like this in in uh, modern coaching you call it verticality but it's kind of the <laughs> it's kind of the same thing just and I that's I don't think it's necessarily something I want to see season on season on season but I also think in the in the medium term I think it can work well for us and then we'll kind of see what the next evolution might be I don't necessarily disagree with that I think it's it's worth saying that when we talk about the Jesse Marsh system improving, I have very little hope that that will include the possessional side of the game. I think that a Jesse Marsh side improving is all about the pressing, getting the pressing right, making sure that you're counter-pressing well, because the counter-pressing is... The, the reason it's called counter-pressing is because you're attempting to generate counter-attacks through pressing, uh, and that's the that's where the real dangers are going to come from. It's We're going to be... I think we're going to become a... a, a potentially the the best iteration of this is a tough team to beat um we're going to be difficult for teams to beat and maybe that's maybe that like like Josh says in the short term that's really good that's what we want to be that will be enough to keep us up it will be enough to probably keep us in the premier league for for a few seasons um but in the long run i think that the possessional structures are going to get worse um partly because i think as the pressing gets better the less likely we're going to be able to do those sorts of build up plays that we're doing at the moment that feel quite Bielsen um so I mean it's it's hard because like a lot of people I think consider and especially after three seasons four seasons of Bielsa you consider good possessional play to be sort of the gold standard Uh, but as we've been saying a lot in this podcast it's not about what we think is the gold standard it's about what the system is designed to do um and like there are there are there is potential to do good possessional stuff within a Marsh system um you see a lot of that um, up back and through stuff where the the centre back finds the one of the tens who then finds one of the pivots who can then put progress the ball through there. We've seen that in a few games at a few times, namely the the Leicester City first half. We saw that happening quite a lot, and I thought Ailing was really dangerous in that in that game. We haven't really seen that upside from Ailing since. Um, and there are potentials to do that sort of good one touch quick passing stuff through the middle but we're not seeing that at the moment and i think as time goes on we will see less of this get into wide areas hit 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 the, the sort of crossing angles and, and get the ball in unless it is a fullback um and we are just going to get more and more narrow and so it will change the way that the possession is structured but like as we're saying like 
that is what it is it is what it is and and you you have to accept that as a, as the system that we're playing um so yeah that's sort of my two cents on the possessional side of things do you imagine that the possessional stuff that we're seeing at the moment which feels like we're still trying to create with that'll sort of hang around until the end of the season and that we'll really see what what the possessional side will look like next season yeah, and look, there's there's every chance that maybe Jesse Marsh wants to like do a bit more hybrid, but I do I just do think that you lose your the the upside of your out of ball system if you're playing you, you can't simultaneously as we've been saying play as you you as you said like a, a system that Bielsa has which is try and generate as much space as possible in possession and then a system out of possession which is trying to reduce space as much as possible you either you pick one or the other and the part of the reason why we did man marking was because it allows you to do like the off ball pressing stuff and retain the space um whereas with with marsh because it's about removing space you sort of have to be able to attack in closed spaces a lot of the time as well and if you can do that well then you'll you'll get the benefit of it Right, well, that's enough from us. Let's move over to the listener questions. I had lots of good questions. Um, It's nice to have something different to talk about because it's definitely generated more interesting questions. So thank you for everyone who sent them in. Sorry we couldn't get around to all of them. Question number one from good friend Jackie Buckets. He says, what did you make of Jesse Marsh's game management? Seemed like he tried to kill the game off early with a cock sob and then Joffe was a Hail Mary at the end. Uh, Darren, what did you make of that? Um, Yeah, I mean, I was... As you know, John, because you stood next to me, I was absolutely fuming about the move to to a back five at the end. I thought it was completely counterproductive. Um, and yeah, I thought it really put us under a lot of unnecessary pressure when we could have been trying to stretch the game the other way. However, I do acknowledge that that's me thinking in old money, if you like, and that, 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 that we may see going forward more pragmatic decisions like this. Um, although Jesse Marsh did, in fairness, say afterwards that normally he would be more aggressive and try to go for the second goal himself. Will be interesting to see how that plays out over the over the period of the time. But I thought the decision to move to five at the back was really counterproductive and put us under a lot of pressure when we could have been trying to put them under pressure. However, in the stadium, I thought we'd done that at about sixty-five minutes. In in actual fact, it was only for the last ten minutes that 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 even happened, as I noticed on the rewatch this morning. So, yeah, I don't. I, <laughs> Like it, bringing Joffe, Joffe was coming on anyway when when they scored their goal. I think he was already ready to come on. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't know whether I see that as as a hail mary based on what happened. Um, but um, yeah, I was I was not convinced by the game management. However, I do understand and see the thought process behind it. Um, I'm just not sure whether I'd want to see it again going forward, given that I didn't even think we low-blocked particularly well in that 5-3-2, 5-4-1 formation that we went to at the end. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it annoyed me that we allowed two balls over the top to, to Pukki. Um, I think if if you're going like that, then surely you need to be deep enough that he can't get in behind. It was a bit of like a mishmash, I thought. Um, but... Um, yeah, I think Darren's right in that it, the hand was kind of forced as well in that the Rodrigo injury made it made it happen. I don't know that he was necessarily going to be coming off there. Uh, Marsh said it was a tight quad. Um, and I noticed actually as he was coming off that you could see he had a bit of strapping on there. So I think that maybe that was a, a pre-existing thing. Um, be interesting to see whether he plays on Friday. But um yeah, I kind of see why in that moment it's like I'm gonna go with with Koch rather than um, Gelhart. As much as I want Gelhart to play as much as possible, and he's scored the winner and so on. I don't think he was very good against Villa, uh, and I think it was probably a situation of we'll just shut this game out. And I think as much as that's not what we've seen under Bielsa for a long time, lots of managers do that. It didn't go well. <laughs> in this occasion uh but we got away with it but it's not like that's it's not like some like mental decision that no manager ever does like if he went for the if he went for uh the 2-0 win and we don't get we don't get the goal and they still equalize then people are going to be like why didn't you shut the game down so i i can kind of see you know where that went from i would prefer if you want to see a game out to just kill the other team with holding the ball um but we don't really have the profiles in the team for that. And I don't know whether we ever will under under this system. 
It did feel to me as though, yes, we did go deeper in, in the last 10 minutes, but it felt as though we let them into the game in the second half, I thought. Whether or not that was because of any tactical decisions or whether or not it was because of the pressure and we just sort of started sitting deeper and deeper and deeper and pressing and I did notice that our forward press just did get a little bit deep in the second half of the second half as well Uh, I think the reason why I was so frustrated at the end of of the game was that it just felt as though we sort of allowed them back into it and by the end they were I mean they were they were were scary to watch really like and you're thinking like we're playing against Norwich who are absolutely awful this is a team who've like actively selected to start Lucas Rupp as a as a, as a, as a starting player and we've <laughs> and we and we are now making it look like we're deferential to them and uh, I think that was largely why I was a bit grumpy at the end of the game but <laughs> all's well that ends well or whatever whatever it is that they say but let's move on to question two this is a good one from uh, another good friend Geisley uh, actually all of the all the questions are from really good friends, so uh, that's nice. Anyway, um, guys, he says, Villa and today we seem to leave their right back completely alone. The switch is always on. Is that deliberate, uh, Josh? Yeah, it is. And I think, to be honest, it, <laughs> when the press gets better, I think that gets worse. Like, <laughs> that, that Marsh, um, he references it. He knows it's, a, it's an issue because he talks about um, that's the big weak spot of his teams is when you are pressing the ball as one unit, you are making the pitch narrow and you're leaving one side of the pitch open. Uh, and then if they get the switch, then you have to then transition across to the other side of the pitch uh, laterally. And that's that's hard to do. Um, we're not even really seeing that just yet. We're more just seeing that fullbacks are getting like 1v1s. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it is deliberate. But the idea of when the press gets better is we're supposed to win it more that means that even though that is our weak spot, it's harder for them to actually be able to do it in the first place. I guess the problem is, is at the moment, it's just so easy for teams to know that they've got that out ball, that as long as you can get a decent foot on the ball, you can just swing it out to the other side. But yeah, as you say, the, the idea is that as the press gets better, you make that ball harder and harder to play. Um, and, and yeah, it's it's again, this sort of moves us on to the, the third question. So I'll move us on to here and give it to you, Darren, because Josh Dean asks about tactical fouls in their third. Uh, I think t- tactical fouls in general, but it's worth talking about the, the role of fouling in this system as well, right, Darren? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for all that, that I've, I've become accustomed to really pretty football and come to enjoy it and love it, I also do enjoy a little bit of a tactical foul. I've got absolutely no problem with it. And, and I think that we're... That, that given that that quite often we we because of the because we don't currently have the capacity to stop the switch in the way that I hope that we will eventually come to have I think it's really important that we take the measures that we can to to stop their progress and if tactical fouls are part of that then absolutely I've got absolutely no problem with that I think it's not you know under Bielsa we would we would make a lot of fouls but they were fouls in the spirit of trying to win the ball quickly and, and in quite a rash way quite often and in this way if we just clip someone's heels just to buy ourselves a minute then that's just going to have to be the way it is now it's a bit bit regressive and it's a bit sort of attritional and, and all that but but I'd rather that than seeing you know having wide players constantly isolated against our fullbacks who you know with all the best will in the world and are probably not the best in one-on-one defensive situations so I think you've got to do what you've got to do sometimes and take your lumps Well let's move on to the Stat Bamford section a rare week where we're not falling back onto Jamie Kemp's wonderful statistical output on Twitter. Do you follow Jamie? I'm sure you've, you guys already do. Josh, you had something about Rafinha and shot-creating actions? Yeah, so uh, this is a stat from FB Ref, which tries to give more value to other actions other than the key pass before, um, before an assist. Uh, sorry, like the key pass before a shot. So I think it's the two actions before, so it could be a dribble could be a pass could be a shot from this particular player but yeah this game Rafinha had his highest shot creating actions of nine since he had 10 against West Ham which was his highest of the season so this was his second highest of the season obviously it's against Norwich a a bad team but also I think part of it was that we got him into that space that we haven't really seen him in since the West Ham game. I'm just having a look now because I'm I'm interested to see 
what the correlation is between Rafinha playing well in terms of shot creating actions and Oz doing well, I suspect it's pretty high. FB ref is being really slow. <laughs> oh, server error. I've broken FB ref. Yeah. You should keep this bit in. It's good. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> It's good radio. I genuinely can't get through to the data, but uh, I suspect that there is probably a correlation between Rafinha um, putting up decent shot-creating actions and us doing well. I mean, I suspect there's probably a correlation between us creating a lot of shot-creating actions in a game and us doing well as well. Um, So maybe that's not the profound point I'm I'm, I'm wanting to make. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think so. More shots equals more wins. Yeah, generally. generally, But I do think it's funny, isn't it, when we hear people complaining about Rafinha, Darren. (laughs) (laughs) I complain about him in the spirit that I absolutely love him and know that he's our best chance of winning any game. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, anyone yeah, yeah. can rewrite history, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> we are very much a team that, and I think in this system as well, like we are going to look good when Rafinha looks good. Yeah, it's not always going to be the case that if he doesn't look good, we won't look good. But I do think that it's going to be almost always the case that if we can get the best out of Rafinha, then we are going to we're going to look okay. And and maybe that's part and parcel of us no longer sort of being a system team. Maybe it's, a lot of it is down to individual actions, and and maybe the system is about sort of trying to get the most out of individuals in a, in a fairly chaotic game state. But um, yeah, I definitely think that Rafinha. If we can get him involved in the games in the in this sort of way in the next nine games, then we'll probably be okay in the long run. Yeah, agreed. Right, just a quick few thoughts on the the game at the weekend. So, well, I say the weekend. We're playing Wolves on Friday evening, um, which is yeah, getting that one out of the way early on to ruin the weekend or make the weekend, depending on how it goes. But um, obviously, Wolves are on a bit of a good run at the moment pushing up towards the European spaces and I think Wolves are maybe a, an interesting game in many respects because um, Wolves are going to be a team who are going to be sitting deep absorbing pressure uh, they're not going to be susceptible to to wide play we know that because Wolves have been one of the teams that have caused us problems when we've played them under Bielsa um, so yeah interested to hear what you guys are thinking of going into this one so Darren what do you what's your sort of thought process before this game? I just think it's going to be like glue. I think the game's just going to be really, really gluey and claggy and porridgey and, and horrible. Um, like as all games against Wolves are, all games involving Wolves are like that. But but because we're, because we're not going to be as effective in the wide areas as we were um, in all likelihood, and and Wolves have been able to kill that threat from us in the past. In in any case, um, and because our centralized attacking isn't really and counter-pressing isn't working as effectively as it will do in the future. Um, I just don't really see where chances are going to come from in this game, except for perhaps through set pieces. Um, and, and so I'm a, I'm a, you know, I think, I think it'd be very low scoring and I think, I think there's every chance we could nick it. Like, um, but I, I just don't think it's going to be a particularly enjoyable evening of football. Yeah. Do you think both of the teams now are, are going to be teams who are, wary of what's called rest defense like what you're doing with your defenders when you're attacking and I think for us we're largely like we we defend in a block of six maybe one of the fullbacks will get forward and 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 help out the attack but you have that block of six and you attack with four and you, what you're sort of doing is is you're you're going to stay deeper and, and you're going to try and pick the opposition off and I think Wolves are pretty much the same so they'll play I guess three four three and they'll attack with those with with a wing back and then one of those front three and and they'll what you're doing is obviously the fewer players that you commit to the attack the less likely you are to generate decent chances I think and so um, yeah it's similar to us so it'll be very much as you've, as you've said attritional I think Darren but Josh what about you what are you sort of looking forward to I think with all of these games my feeling is I look at them with intrigue in that they're all going to be different to how um, how they were before like I think Darren's right and that it will get clogged up centrally um, but I'd, like you said earlier teams that were bogey teams for us might, might not be bogey teams anymore um, and to be honest I know it will be it will make for an awful watch. <laughs> but if it's a really cloggy, like horrible nil nil, I'll be absolutely delighted. Like because taking a point from from Wolves would would be really good for us. Uh any more than that incredible. But I would take a point right now because it we'll we'll have put more pressure on um on Everton and, and Burnley to, to have to take something from, from their games in hand. Um yeah, so I think I don't have a big tactical point to make other than I'm I'm interested to see 
how it how it plays out now that we're different than we were and obviously I would say that the last game against them played out a bit differently to how how it did um when it was Nuno uh so It'll be, be interesting to, to see how this one now looks. Yeah, and if you want to find out more about what that Wolves game will look like, we do a preview podcast on our Patreon. As I mentioned before, our Patreon is www.patreon.com forward slash allstats, aren't we? Uh, you'll be able to find out all about that Wolves game. We will speak to an opposition fan who will give us the lowdown on uh, Bruno Large's team at the moment. We also do video reviews of the games that have gone. So, Josh, what are you doing this week in terms of your video? I'm going to do Rafinha. That makes sense. And uh, I have not really thought of anything yet, but I'm thinking of maybe having a look at the pressing system, particularly in the in the sort of high press situation and just seeing where the pressing is falling down and maybe do some comparisons with other Jesse Marsh teams going forward as well. So again, as I say, if, you, if that sounds interesting to you, head over to the Patreon. But that brings us to the end of the podcast. And as always, thanks to you, Darren. Thank you very much. Thanks, Josh. Cheers. And we'll see you very shortly. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 